All right, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats. We are back with another fun-filled episode of History Our Way. With me, as always, is the Ken to my Ryu. He's the Cheech to my Chong. Actually, we've been friends long, and I haven't seen his dong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Professor A.G. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it is going good. We are headed back to a wonderful place today. Uh, we visited there a little bit earlier with the samurai culture. We are headed back to Japan. Yay! Did a little bit uh, earlier on, a while back in the episodes, um, about the samurai culture. And shout out to our friend Julian from the In My Head pod. Gave us this idea. It's something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is the sumo culture. And we the do sumo listen to rest- you guys. We reread what you send us. So Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, without further ado... Let's uh, get our boarding passes. Hopefully everybody's flying first class like we are, real high in the sky, and let's get into it. Sumo. Now, my introduction to sumo, as with everybody's, was from the game Street Fighter and E Honda, if you recall. He was the guy that did like the hand, he would stick it on me. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I can't don't think say that was, that was mine. I don't know if it was mine. I, I don't think that was really mine. I was just thinking of a pop culture reference yeah. nearly to sumo. I think everybody. As a kid, you always saw some about sumo, and you would like with your friends do the hut and do the big wide step mm-hmm. things. We have goddamn inflatable costumes that are supposed to mimic this beautiful sport. And just, yeah, a full-on culture. When you talk about sumo wrestling, it's not just a sport. It is the national sport of Japan, but it's Do you so think much. It still is. Oh yeah, it's officially. Oh yeah, seriously. The, okay. the JSA, the um, Japanese Sumo Association, mm-hmm. the thing that runs not all the of Justice sumo society of America. <laughs> is actually a full-on governmental organization. So all of the arenas that they uh, handle bash shows, which we'll talk about all this in, all that stuff's controlled by the government, Again, so none of it has to pay taxes. let's clarify this. You're not saying bass shows as yeah. in like a fishing bash expo. Show. Yes, okay. It's one word, and it's you're going to explain what it means. Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's just everything that they do. The, the fighters that are sumo wrestlers they devote their lives to this from a very young age and they live together they train together 6 days a week these guys just go at it to give both myself and then the people listening kind of a point of reference do we have anything like this well i guess we there's people listening from all over the world is there an equivalent outside of japan for something like this like how how Ooh. old are these kids when they are considered like they could be sumo prodigies or or things like that um we'll talk about kind of when they can enter these dojos and these houses prior to that though they i mean first second third grade they're entering these competitions and it's not just sumo competition as far as it is like judo and other kind of martial arts so it's it's on it's not just it's it's considered part of like the japanese part of like in a weird way of mortal combat or of like hand-to-hand type combat. Uh, yeah, and it's the amount of respect that's shown in just the, um, I guess, solemn nature that 
some of these things are treated. It's just absolutely incredible. I've been watching sumo for a long time and have never really focused in until it took time to really break down an episode as to just how reverent they are with so many of these things that they do. Just even the lead up to, we'll talk about a lot of it. This is only going to be a small portion of just how sweet they well, treat it's been everything. going on for how long? Um, thousands of years. I okay. mean, the first mention of this uh, comes from, it was a manuscript, 712 CE, and it was, the battle took place. What does CE mentioned, stand for again? Uh, common Era. Okay. So BCE, before Common Era. Okay. Then... Jesus or whoever started us over at zero, which gotcha. is still the weirdest concept in the world. But we're just like, ah, fuck it. We've been doing this for long enough. We we're just basing our time frame off of just like this one dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just the oddest thing in the world. But it was a manuscript that was found from 712 CE that mentioned the first sumo fight. And the first sumo fight allegedly was from 23 BCE. And um, actually, no, that was the first human one. Before this, what? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean the first human I one? I sort of buried the lead on this. But the transcript, or the manuscript, said that there was a sumo battle over the set of islands that would become Japan. And it was between, I'm going to get rough here. I'm going to try to do these just as I've heard them. Um, Teki Mikazuchi was the god of thunder. And Teki Minakata was the god of water. And the so first Thor, battle, Thor and Poseidon. In basically, Japanese yes. Culture, okay. in, in Japanese culture, Thor right. and Poseidon. I'm going to serve. Oh, we forgot to mention this is a learning episode for me as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this should've, is one where started off that way. A, Adam's got all the information. I'm kind of in your guys' seat. I have a cursory knowledge of this, so I'm going to serve as the everyman. So yeah, we got uh, Thor and Poseidon. Japanese Thor and Japanese Poseidon. And uh, Takamika Zuchi, the god of thunder ended up winning, and he won something called Izumi, which would now be known as the Islands of Japan. Okay. So that's how far this lore goes back to, is literally the founding of Japan was fought over a sumo-style match. Okay. Um, our first human interaction, first human kind of sumo, 23 BCE, was the Emperor Sunin. He pitted a guy named Nomi no Sukune against Tamina no Kahuhe. The laud there. Uh, but it was literally like the first time that we see two humans enter the battle. And unfortunately, these were to the death. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. Do, do you think this came out of like, um, okay, so this is a huge part of their culture, you know, God of Thunder, God of Water and everything. Do you think they had reenactments? Because a lot of cultures, like you look at like Greek cultures and everything, they would do plays like involving the gods and like theater and things like that. Do you think it was one of those things where this started out with two characters, like, in the roles of each of these gods, like, fighting it out over who gets or the founding of Japan, and then that emerged into an actual sport? Maybe two of the actors just started fucking had bad beef between two of them, and they just actually started fighting. They're like, this is much more entertaining. Uh, yeah, um, a lot of it kind of starts in... This is kind of where you start to see different things. Um, a lot of this takes place from, I don't know why in the world my brain is completely... It's because you need the information right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, Shintoism. Um, Shintoism is just a, another offshoot religion that came out of Japan. 
I believe it's kind of interlaced with like Taoism and Buddhism, okay. different forms like that. It's weird how religions tend to just offshoot people and like, I don't like this about it. And then it just goes off to something else. Well, yeah. I mean, Christianity, how fucking big is Christianity as far as and just it's a all the branches? Of, it's a splitter, splinter of Judaism. Yeah. And I, so it's like, so it's fucking like, uh, shit. What I'm, I'm, I don't want to say anything because I can't think of it. Like the Quran, what's that all? Uh, Islam. Islam. Islam is even an offshoot of Judaism. Like they just took a, they couldn't decide on if Jesus was someone's uncle or his delivery man or some shit like that. Yeah, they just they argued enough where they're like, "You go this way, we're going to go this yeah. way." Eventually, we're going to get a lot of fights over this. Yes, but let's split. Was up. it pretty similar, probably in Japan? Um, I think it was probably a little bit more respectful over there. But Shintoism isn't like the the main religion in Japan. But that's where a lot of these cultures and customs come from. Um, some of the warm ups that they do are kind of a nod to like. Um, Shinto dances that would be done. There is a roof that is over every single one of the doyos, which is the actual um, ring where the events take place. Okay. And it's a form of an ancient Shinto roof that used to be over the temples where they would wrestle. Is it the style that, like, when you think of, like, I guess stereotypical Japanese culture, like the tiered roofs that yes. stack up. It's like that. Yep. Okay. Uh, it has the, the four offshoots that stick out further than everything else. Yes. Um, you mostly clay, but, uh, <coughs> the next time we really see it pop up kind of big the Japanese middle ages. Uh, we talked about these guys with the samurai to the daimyos. Yes. They would actually sponsor sumo wrestlers. And right around this time, the word that I just used, we had the invention of the doyo. Now, the doyo is a very crazy thing because we'll talk about that with some of the vocab later. But a doyo is the actual ring that they um, compete in. Mm -hmm. And I believe it is like 16 meters in diameter, something around there. Um, But it's made of rice straw bales that are actually sunk down into clay. But the way that the doyo is built is before each one of these events, which are called bashos, are called shin bashos, we'll talk about that. But the way that it's constructed is days before, there will be these guys that actually take care of the, the doyo. Yeah, groundskeepers. Yeah, the ground they, crew. they will build it up off of the ground. I think it sits like four to six feet up off of the ground. And it's all made of clay. Yeah. And then as they're doing it, they're tamping it all down. So it's just dried clay that's able to withstand these guys that are 400, 500 well, pounds. Well, does it end up going down to ground level? No. No, it's just like a big platform. Oh, shit. Anytime I've seen it, it looks like there are seats coming. Well, I guess that could just be the way the seats are. They could be built mm-hmm. up a lot higher. Yeah, the down. seats come down like a traditional stadium, but then the doyo raises up right out of the middle. Okay. So that was right around when this was created. And and this is still today. This is the original way it was done, and this is the like the traditional way it's still yep. done today. For fifteen seventy eight. How crazy is that? That it's back all the like, way. Like imagine we were still using the same like groundskeeping technology <laughs> to like the NFL never progressed for like different like grasses and shit. They're like nah shit. We have to use the same grass. Like this stuff is like slippery as shit. No one's ACLs are safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and. I mean, that kind of begs the question, too, thinking of, like, modern day, how it works with the NFL. Like, AstroTurf is a pretty great invention. Turf is a very great invention. It depends on who you ask. 
And it does because you don't know, you know, is it more responsible for injuries? Is it safer? Is it better for an NFL stadium to have turf in there because mm-hmm. it's easier to maintain and it's more consistent than grass is? Or what about the seams? Like if you're going to step on the seam, what are the chances this happens? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you have natural dirt underneath that's going to be more of a barrier to take in shock than yep. concrete underneath the turf is. But this is literally just a very large clay structure. Now, the first sumo one that you were talking about, you said that one was to the death. The yeah. emperor wanted him them to do that. Are they to the death for a while or is it just that first one? Uh, for a while, yeah. Okay. So uh, up through the... The 1500s and so kind of... So you got to be like fucking full in on this. This isn't like John that works down at the steel mill. They're like, John, you're a big dude. And he's like, yeah, I sumo on the side. No, you're like... John could not show up to work the next day because John got killed after he lost his like sumo match. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... It really takes until about the 18th century um, for sumo to really kind of fall into like, we're not dying here. Where it um, becomes a... a Sport, yeah, but not a like burner sport. You would say that, yeah. There was a, a guy um, back in the fifteen seven or in fifteen seventy eight that sort of set up these tournaments. His name was Nobunaga, and his tournament took place. So it was Nobunaga, like the Vince McMahon. He's the emperor. Okay, emperor oh, Nobunaga. Nobunaga is the emperor. Uh, Nobunaga. Nobunaga. Yeah. Okay. And the winner of that tournament was actually given a bow. The bow ritual is still done today where the winner of a tournament will be given the bow. After the winner of the tournament is given the bow, he will actually do a ceremonial dance that was started all the way back then, like still to this day. So 300 plus years later, 400 plus years later. How big are these guys? Huh? How big are these guys? 400 pounds, 500 pounds. Is it a graceful dance? It's beautiful. And that's, that's where it really comes down to my belief. If I watch this right now, I'm pretty stoned. If I watch this, am I going to cry? It's just, it's incredible to see. And this is sort of where sumo gets confusing for people that don't really understand is back then, these guys weren't big. Back then, these guys were just pretty normal guys. It was all based around this, because what it is, is it's just the skill of moving someone, right? It it is. And there's, we'll talk about- I'm not trying to boil it down to something simple. What I'm saying is the reason these guys could be smaller, because if they were fighting against other smaller guys- but then it's an escalation type thing. All of a sudden, this big guy is now able to dominate. So we need a bigger guy and then a bigger. And you can only get so big, but yet still so, I guess, um, fuck, what's the word I'm thinking? Nimble. Yeah. And being I, able to move and all that kind of stuff. There's, so there's a, a trade-off. You have to get to a, you know, when there's, I cannot figure out my word choices right <laughs> like now. You, you need the mass to be able to hold yourself in a position, but you also need to be able to be agile enough to shift that position in order to change their body weight. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but there's 82 ways to win a sumo wrestling match. Jesus. Just uh, through different things. And so much of it is... I'm sure there's ones that are like people want to see. They're, they're like the, the kill shot or whatever it is. The, the judo throws, it's the, pin, the push. Instead of the getting counted out of the ring and shit like that. Yeah. And again, we'll get to that kind of when we boil down what modern day is. I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 1684, the Edo period is when we see the official first sumo organization developed. It's going on this whole time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it there, it there, falls are... in and out of favor depending on what's going on. Okay. Uh, right around this time, they kind of start to see a little bit of Western influence after 1684, so it sort of drops off because they see it as kind of like more of a an embarrassing thing. Okay. Because these guys, they're... Uh, 
we'll talk about their dress. Um, but Hayes become a big deal, and those are sumo stables. So okay. a dojo where you live, train, eat, sleep, yeah. do everything. Hayes become a deal all the way back in 1684. Hayes are those places. Yep. Okay. So it, it you said it kind of falls in and out of like a fad and everything. So it's popular at one point. It's not popular, but there are there are these like schools and dojos all over Japan where guys are training to do this. More so for like um, royalty. Okay. Like it hasn't really gone mainstream to the streets yet for okay. the common man to see this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, that sort of follows. So it's still to the death at this point. Uh, I don't think during the Edo period it was okay. anymore. But that'll come around 1884 uh, when we talk about the first like reorganization when it comes back into favor for the people. Okay. But right around this time, the Edo period, 1684, uh, we have something that's created called the Mawashi. Now the Mawashi is the loincloth that is worn during the the event that looks like just a giant man thong. Yes. They're very long. We'll talk about just how how crazy they get. Is it one long piece of fabric that is wrapped in a very like a yep. boxer wrapped thing in their exactly, hands? Exactly, like wrapping so, your hands. So these guys are your, just wrapping his. You're yeah. wrapping your junk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we also see gyojis come out of this. Gyojis are going to be the referees. Uh, we made a little bit of reference to that in the samurai episode, but they actually still to this day because of the gyojis back then carry short swords. Mm-hmm. And what the short sword is for was if a gyoji made a wrong call. And there was something that they had missed that got overturned. Were they supposed to seppuku? They would actually, yeah, that was part of their honor, was there were such honorable people that they would commit seppuku in front of everybody. So not only did you have to be willing to die as a, <laughs> yeah. the wrestler, yep. that also if you were going to officiate this match, you had to be Jesus, man. And these guys, I think there's only something like 40 gyojis, actually, that are like still working today. So it's a very honorable profession. Do they still carry the short swords? Yep. What do they do if they make a mistake now? Uh, nowadays, it's a little bit different because we have like replay, and there are four other judges that surround. Is there the- just? A, can you imagine the first <laughs> few matches after they like outlawed the Gyoji killing himself? He'd make a mistake, and the whole crowd you just hear the collective, <gasps> like he would go down to reach for the short sword, and everybody like, no, 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 we're good, mm-hmm. we're good, we're good. Someone has to go out and stop and be like, Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Remember new management. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. Not today, pal. Um, yeah, so we get up to 1884 Emperor Meiji. He uh, reorganized a sumo tournament, and this is where it kind of comes back in as like a sense of national pride mm-hmm. where they actually want to start to keep something for just strictly Japan. Yeah. Because as you've noticed, and I think everybody kind of notices, Japan's kind of this magical world where they're almost like, they bring American culture in, but Japanese culture is so ingrained to them that there's so many things that go on inside of that country that's just like strictly Japan. I don't, I think it's because you can't spread out. And so yeah, like, that, like here, you don't you have don't, any natural borders with anybody because you're an island. Yeah, and because you're not as spread out, everyone kind of focuses on almost the same thing. Like, I know that Florida is not Japan, but what I'm saying is, like, all those people that are in Florida are just in fucking Florida. Yeah. Like, they've congregated, like, and then they just feed off of each other. So, like, when you have a smaller sense, I think there is more of a sense of, like, camaraderie and national pride. Yeah, I, and that that very well could be. They wanted something that was just strictly their own, which... Nowadays, things are a little bit different. Um, they've actually made rules to kind of try to bring it back to being more Japanese-centric. Um, 
but all the way up from 1884 to 1925, the JSA, the Japanese Sumo Justice Association Society of America, yeah, <laughs> becomes reorganized. December 28th, 1925. Um, it's still the controlling governmental body today. The JSA is actually made up of former sumo mm -hmm. that have just retired and then moved up into kind of like a corporate position to do this. It's like watching fucking NBA on TNT. Yeah. All the, you just get fucking Shaq and Charles. Oh, do they have like a, do they have announcing? I understand this is very traditional, so I'm going to say stupid, trying to be funny things. But I just see them like, here's the traditional sumo channel if you want the traditional commentary. But I think they have to have like a, a younger, like, or funnier commentating duo I, that you're able to get a different feed. Not, yeah, not speaking Japanese. I can't really speak to it, but there is the, the announcing that I do here is very, it is pretty animated. I mean, there's a lot loud to it. We're not um, talking, we're not talking South American football stadium. No, but that's the other kind of crazy thing is really just, and this falls into Japanese wrestling too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like certain chants that are done, but in sumo, it's a lot less. There's just so much more clapping, kind of like almost like a movie score will lead you into an exciting part. Mm -hmm. When you see two sumo lock up together, you'll start to hear the claps and the ovations as you know that something is about, yeah, okay. about to come. Um, not a lot of standing. God, that would just, that's like fucking when Hulk Hogan mm -hmm. starts hearing the chant, he starts pumping the arm. Can you imagine you're locked up and it just fucking starts building? Well, and that's kind of the beautiful thing about sumo is when people look at it, they just really think that it's just two fat guys running into each other, which to a certain extent it really is. But at the same time, like we were talking about earlier with knowing how to like displace your weight mm -hmm. and displace the guy that you're wrestling against weight, yeah. if you feel them leaning over towards you on your right side and they're giving you more and you step through and you shift your body weight and you can trip and throw them in like a judo manner onto the ground, yeah, like it's all about where your placement is. And we'll go through kind of the rules of how you can and can't. Um, hit people, attack people and just the way that it works. But it's so much of just this dance of feeling where your competitor is and they don't last long. Sumo matches don't really last long. Mm -hmm. Some of them can go longer than others, but typically it's over 15 to 20 seconds each round or the whole match, uh, just the whole match. So, okay, there, so there's, there's one match a day and we'll, we'll talk about kind of the structure of how these shin bashes I, work. I, I kind of feel like, and I know I keep comparing it because we do have a larger audience here, but so like that's like having a a peak defensive end and uh, a great guard and yeah or an offensive tackle that catches him coming it, off the exactly line. and you have and it's that situation where you could have the best you could have you know fucking Joe Thomas or whoever you want and then you have fucking you know JJ Watt coming off mm -hmm. and it's just two peak athletes a, a game of movement of cat and mouse, one trying to move the other direction and preventing the other from moving a direction. Like you're predicting a bull rush over a swim move, a mm -hmm. spin move. Anything Cause if like you that. displace your weight too far going forward in anticipation of then pushing that weight into them and they move and shift you, these guys are huge. Yeah. So they're not able to recover. They're go They're going to keep going forward. <laughs> Big tree fall. Yeah. Hard. So, one of just the amazing things about the requirements to become what is it's called a rikishi is what a sumo wrestler is called 
Um, I, I see. I know. Nod to, yeah, yep, WWF, uh, Rikishi Fatu. Um, but, so the Rikishi is, I'm sorry, what is the Rikishi? It's a sumo wrestler. It's the, Everybody okay. is a Rikishi. So basically they boiled the character of Rikishi <laughs> down so much that they just were like, had it been like translated into English, he would come out and be like, the sumo yep. wrestler. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Um, the requirements to become a Rikishi, you have to complete nine years of compulsory education. So that's it. Just nine years. Um, you have to be basic schooling. Yeah. Okay. Basic so you got to go up to freshman. You got to not in high school. Most of these kids um, come into Hayes around 15 or 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So they're starting their careers very, very early. Uh, you must be at least five foot eight, okay. which there were some kind of crazy stories um, about people getting silicone implants put into their heads so they could be tall enough to be considered tall enough what? to. So, what is the average? Is 5'8? Because I know it's different everywhere. Is 5'8 like relatively tall in Japan? I would assume so. I mean, you I have like to I'd be, be a goddamn giant. A, yeah. That's I, why I, when we go over to Japan, we're going to be huge. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to be super huge. You're going to be like, they're going to look at you and be like, oh. And like, yeah. Yeah. It, you're going to turn people around and have them head in the other direction. <laughs> well, here's the other crazy thing you only have to be 148 pounds. 148 pounds. That's much smaller than an average American That's in order man. to compete or just to, like, get in? Just to get in. Okay, well... But you can still... You're competing... Basically, when we start talking about what goes on inside the Hayes... Do they have weight classes? No. There's no weight classes in sumo. So, so you, you could literally be this small guy against the biggest guy. Yep. Um, Akebono, one of my all-time favorite sumo wrestlers... Six I've foot never eight. heard you say that phrase before, and I'm not doubting that it's legitimate. <laughs> but just the fact that you're just like Akibono my all time, I'm just like, man, I wonder if Adam watches it. Like, or do you watch like Akibono highlights? Oh yeah, oh really? Okay, yeah. Akibono. Um, he. I love finding out these weird ass things about you. The <laughs> fact that you're just like, so you just like, were you doing research before this? No, I just liked watching these highlights. Well, and I think part of it for me comes from just playing football at a young age and being a lineman. In knowing I, that there's those one-on-one this, battles. This wrestling led you to this. Eh, a little bit of you both. were probably like at one point, you're like, I wonder like what early wrestling was like, like where this got its inspiration from. And of course it would go to sumo. Yeah. I, and we see uh, early 90s, mid 90s, Yokozuna was yeah. a, a professional wrestler who mm-hmm. also I think was probably my first real introduction to it. There you go. But it's just like the whole phrase of the human body craves contact. That's what sumo is. It's just contact, it's rubbing, it's feeling exactly what you can do to another giant man. And that's, you had me up until that last. <laughs> like, the way you described it, I was like, that can mean so many different things. If you giant can manipulate man. a giant man, it has to be the, just the greatest feeling in the world. You know, you're, you know it's the ultimate competition. You yeah. know you're better. Like it's, I, am, I know this is all me, and I'm better than you. Well, and so much of it, too, is... It's just not a team sport. Like, teams are important. Hayas are very important because that's where all your training comes from. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so much bigger than that because you have to be in that ring by yourself against another giant man who may have trained harder than you, mm-hmm. who may outweigh you by 150 pounds. Yeah. But that's where the mind game comes in of if he bull rushes me and I step to the side and I can catch him off balance, mm-hmm. I can send him outside of the doyo, uh, I can trip him, I can take him down. Okay, I feel like you need to kind of explain how this works because yeah. you're talking about how matches can, can be won. 
But like, I need some examples, so I have a frame of reference here. So, so like, um, paint a picture to me. We before we get to go to one of these events, actually live. Like, what what are these events like? You have six official tournaments every single year. They happen every other month. Are there like qualifiers beforehand? Nope. I, we'll talk about this. Is kind of where I fell into a hard place to figure out how to kind of structure the episode. Um, if we want to get into that system, we can do that first before we break into how the tournament. Yeah, because are done. I feel like it yeah. paints some some okay. concepts for like what you're going to talk about. Like, how often do you have to go to these events to win to attain like a new title or yeah. anything like that? Um, so. I'm putting the other board up where Adam has his information. I'm giving you guys a a peek behind the curtain to know how the fucking podcast works. There you go. Um, So just we'll start out in daily life of where these sumos come from when they come into Hayes. Most new recruits are going to join at 15 or 16 years old. They're expected to spend their whole career with the Hayes. The only difference is if there is a like a coach in the Haya that actually moves from one to another. Okay. There's a transfer fee for them to get out. Other than that, they are just 100% expected to be. So are these coaches like people are constantly coming in to like audition and try to get into these things? Uh, It depends. There's usually a Haya will hold anywhere between. There's some that are only like two and three sumos. Okay. Rikishi. There are some that can be like up to 50. You're going to just keep saying sumos, don't say Rikishi, because that's where my mind instantly goes. Okay, (laughs) Okay. so but how are they like, is there some type of like, so 15 and 16, that's like high school age. Yep. But here, you learn a sport younger, like you can start playing like peewee football and like t-ball and stuff like that. So are there places where like kids will go, because if this is, you know, looked upon like with reverence in Japan and everything like that, I would assume there were people trying to do this, like kids looking up to these guys being like, I want to be a sumo when I grow up. Like, do they do this in school? Can they do this in school? Like how, how are people brought to these, uh, Hayas? You grow up seeing it. You grow up watching it because it is the national sport. So you're growing up watching it. Like we were to watch football. So growing it's up. kind of like kids that watch MMA or like, I want to start training in this style of fighting because I might want to make a career out of doing something like this. Okay. Yeah. Traditional, like American style wrestling over there, uh, judo, other sorts of martial yeah. arts. But they're usually kids that are on the bigger spectrum. Like mm-hmm. they're 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 larger. Their physical abilities allow them to do this. Yeah, yeah. and that's I'm not going to be. I wouldn't have been going into a a Haya at yeah. 15 or 16. And this is what I find just absolutely fascinating is how these Hayas are structured because these younger Rikishi come in, younger Sumos come in. Um, they're basically at the beck and call of all the older, higher ranking Sumos mm-hmm. that are in the building. They're going to wake up before everybody. Oh, yeah, because they stay with them. This isn't just like their beginning stage and then they go to like, hey, a high school. Yeah, it's a family. It's a family the entire time. They train time. For the entire career unless it's trail. Okay, that's mm-hmm. right. So as they grow um, within Ooh. the Haya. Hey, uh, there's rookie hay. There's got to be some horrible rookie hazing. Very bad. Okay. Very, very bad. And we don't really have to touch on it, but there's been. No, I, I feel like we need to touch on it. Uh, well, there's been uh, a couple hazing incidents where they have ended up in death, where the hay has actually had to be disbanded because of the abuse that some of these kids were going through. Oh, shit. That. Oh, I thought you were going to say, yeah. like, they just, like, made them wash, like, the the butt thongs. And, no, like, they had to do uh, all that's this all. Stuff. 
like traditionally that's just what the younger sumos do is they do all the washing, they do all the cleaning. Um, they make sure that all the meals are prepared for all of these athletes. Mm-hmm. They just go through and if it's, Hey, go down and get me a Coke. You got to go get them a Coke. Like they, they're just at the beck and call of all the older sumos and all the higher ranking Trying sumos. just to make it through so they can do the same thing to the next, the next poor. Yeah. And, to walk through the door. And one of the interesting things that I kind of heard in a couple of the interviews that I listened to mostly from the Hawaiian guys, cause they speak English and I can understand that is the most beautiful part of it was that would almost fuel them to become better sumos because you're training against these guys every single day. Was so, your, was your, was the hierarchy in here? Was it, um, fuck, we just, I just used the word last week in the last podcast where it's based on your talent. Um, your, your rankings. And we'll talk okay, about, so it wasn't always, I mean, yes, you do usually get the more experienced guys are going to be better. But if you had like a fucking hot shot Rikishi come in and he was like mid tier up the rankings, he could be bossing the, a couple of the older guys yeah, around. Yeah, it's not based on age; it's solely based on how it's going to irritate how, me if I can't think of what that's how fucking good you called. are, huh? How just it's based on how successful you are in these bash shows. But um, the beautiful thing about it is, if some guy gives you shit or some guy's treating you poorly, meritocracy, you, merit, okay. merit based on merit, meritocracy. You get to go against these guys in training every single day. So if some guy wrongs you, if some guy treats you bad and you meet him in the doyo the next day, you can put all of your anger and all of your feelings towards what he did to you back into him. And it's just, it thrive, you just, you thrive on that anger for most of these guys to try to climb inside the ranks. I know we just talked about this last week, but with the fucking Coliseum and the Gladiators, you would have schools where you were competing against other Gladiators. So, and I know you're probably going to get to this, but I'm having questions right now. How did it work where there's six events each year, big tournaments yep. each year? Is it one match per tournament or is it like a nope. bunch of them? Tournaments go on for 15 days and you have one match a day. Okay. And then it's a tiered system, so you just keep moving through it. And you, it's a single elimination? Okay. You're 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 having one sumo match every single day of the Basho. And so, then it, do they take the best record at the end? Yeah, we'll we'll get into um sort of the phrasing with that and how you can move up into the rankings and tier systems through that. How, so how do they determine do each of these like um heyas? Yeah. Do each of them do you have to like be ranked to get into this or do all of them get invitations to go compete in these tournaments? Uh, you the only ones that are really televised and shown are going to be the top two rankings. Uh-huh. Um, and we'll talk about them kind of specifically because it's very interesting. They're the only two out of the six rankings that actually get paid. Seriously? Yeah. So these guys, part of the reason that they live in these Hayas is that the JSA provides them right around like $550 a month as a training payment for each uh, Rikishi that's in one of these Hayas. Okay. So that oh, goes that's not to, going to the guys. No, no, that's, that's going to the owners, the, okay. the leaders of the Haya that will pay for these guys' training, food, anything that they need or anything like that. So your top two tiers, the only two that actually get paid, and you get what's called sponsorships, where basically... Uh, a rich guy on the outside will mm-hmm. be able to pay you as like, like a, a, a sponsor. Sounds like a racehorse. A, a little bit. 
But there's certain things where they like they'll take a, they them out for dinner. They don't get a slap their sponsor Pennzoil right, <laughs> no. right in the middle of the thong. I, the cool thing about what the sponsors do is after you win a match, um, you come back to center. Every match respectfully ends the exact same way. After it's over with, you come back to the center of the doyo. You bow to each other. Um, the winner will crouch down and as a sign of graciousness for being a winner to mm-hmm. the gods, You'll see a chop to the left, a chop to the right, a chop to the middle, and the Gyoji will actually walk up and present you um, a stack of envelopes. Mm -hmm. Those envelopes are all the money from your sponsors that you were just paid to win that bout. So, like, are some people's stacks little? Yeah. And then are some fucking, like, the guy Like, 10, 12 envelopes just full of yen. Whereas you'll see guys have like two or three. you see the looks on their faces when they look and they see the envelope? It's like, fuck. Yeah, and the cool thing about it is they don't know what their money is that they're getting from these sponsors, really. I'm sure they have some idea. Mm -hmm. But the better you get and the more sponsors you accrue, like you know that if you win that bout, it's not just winning that bout. It's about all the yen that you're going to make from those sponsors. Okay, go back to like, shit, where were we? I like that we're just getting into everything, but now I'm trying to figure out where we're at. Oh, yeah. So, um, life at, oh, yes, life at the. In these doyos, as these rikishis start to age up, as they get better and they move up through the rankings, um, they really start to not have to do as much of the housework because they're being replaced a younger age or Mm -hmm. younger aged rikishi, newer rikishi that come in. Um, the food that they eat, it's called chonkonabe. And it is basically just one giant stew that of, is. Of course, you're getting five fifty ahead. <laughs> so from the nutrient society of America. Yeah, you're putting every sort of protein source in there that you can get. Shit ton of rice, probably for carbs uh, and all that stuff. Right around like five to six bowls of rice with this food. This oh, is, it's this. Yeah. with rice. And this is usually served like right around lunchtime, but. Before lunchtime happens, there's about five hours of training that these guys go through in the morning. They do all of their training on an empty stomach before they're fed. So they wake up, they go, they do their chores. The young guys start training. The older guys start that's to really wake up. That's really fucking impressive, man, because like that's when, you, that's when you're technically doing like fasted cardio. Yeah. So you haven't eaten all night. You're burning fat at that point. You're not burning the food and the calories that you have. And then you're trying to replenish those. So like those guys' ability to like pack on weight despite this training, that's fucking that's impressive. Yeah, I, and that's the, they build their bodies in such a way that you just see fat guys, but they're some of the strongest human beings on the planet mm-hmm. because they're able to burn that fat off. Their build workouts up their muscle. are moving their body weight and another human of equal size's body weight around for five hours. And this is after they go through their stretching routines, they go through their kind of use of cardio. Not a lot of weightlifting actually goes on. It's just mostly body weight. But when you are 400 pounds, that's enough weightlifting. Yeah, It's like wearing upper body, you're moving and trying to push. Um, Do they train in the, what are the bikini bottoms called again? Mawashis. Do they train in the Mawashis? Yep. Hmm. So they're training like exactly the same way as they're competing. Yeah. Uh, and they, they just kind of live in such a way that it's that's how everything works is they wake up, they do their chores, they put on their mawashis, they go down, they start working out. Um, there's they have pr- like tearaways. At least they like they have like track pants <laughs> on. Kimonos. They go down there and they're like, and then they just rip them off. They've Kim- got it, right? Kimonos, dog. Oh, that's, you just yeah. peel it off real quick and you're ready to go. Um, 
as a younger Rikishi, and if you haven't moved up through the rankings, you get just basically like a regular white cotton uh, kimono. kimono that you can wear. As you start to move up into the ranks and you get into the top two, you will actually start to get like silken kimonos yeah. and something that's very that, breathable. Like, uh, colors, it, when that's really started to be introduced when you're a higher rank. If you were in that top two, pay me a picture, what would yours be? Have you I thought about this? I might be tie-dye. You'd have to go tie-dye I'd silk? I'd be hippie sumo for sure. I think it would be pretty I sick to say have like, that. Hibiscus flowers all over it. I want to say like forest green. Maybe just a, a solid maybe forest just green, a dark ass purple, like a swirl or two in it. To yeah. just kind of draw the eye. Yep, yep. But they eat chonkonabe pretty. I mean, large, large vats of chonkonabe, plus all sorts of fruits, all sorts of vegetables, all I don't sorts of know rice. Where that, that meat's coming from. Five fifty yeah. a month, man. Well, and you have to think too, is that's where you're throwing bones in there so you can get some of the um, marrow. Yeah, so yeah, you're making bone broth, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're getting enough to where you're trying to lubricate mm-hmm. those joints and everything because you're carrying around so much weight. But all these guys can do the splits. I mean, their flexibility is second to none. When you see that's the so fucking crazy the ritual dance when they walk up and you see them slap their legs and then they lift one leg, mm-hmm. slam it down, lift the other leg, slam it down. Most of these guys are able to bring their leg up past their head, still keep perfect balance on one foot, and come down as a four and five hundred pound human being. It's just it's unreal to watch these dudes move and be able to just be that big. Um, we'll go through a little bit of the vocab right now, just so when I use these words, it makes sense. Mawashi, like we talked about, uh, it's a loincloth. We're 40 minutes in and now you're hey. attending to the well, glossary? Because we'll break down like the matches and everything okay. like that, that happens after this. So a Mawashi, approximately 30 feet long when it's unwrapped. 30 feet long. They like wrap a, that like much around these goddamn infinity scarves. Yeah, just for fucking ever. They weigh 8 to 11 pounds. Um, they have something in front. You've seen like the tassels that lay in front. Yes. It's called a saguri. And what that is, is that covers up the only part of the mawashi that you're not allowed to grab in competition. No grabbing the dick. Yeah. So, so grab it, his dick and twist it. And that's, that's what the protection element is. What are they um, made? What are they made of? Cotton. Like, is it just cotton? Cotton, silk, just depending on what God your ranking Quinn, is. Yeah. If you're wearing one of these silk ones, man, like, well, they're that's still so comfortable. Yeah. How are you going to get... <laughs> How are you going to get fired up if you've got all your nethers being held by that silky softness? Everything just feels like it's sliding around in there nicely. You just want to keep stretching. He's like, is he done stretching yet? <laughs> a couple more minutes. <laughs> I like to be limber. Uh, the doyo that we talked about where the event occurs, um, 15 feet in diameter, 4.55 meters. Okay, so diameter our, is straight across, right? I it believe so, be. yeah. Okay. For, for our European listeners, 4.55 uh, meters. Buried into a clay structure that's built for every basho. So every time they go to one of these places, they do all six events in six different arenas. Uh-huh. They're all hand-built and deconstructed every single time. Every day? Every, no, just at the beginning, uh, the days 15, before the basho. After the 15, yeah. okay. Then they're deconstructed, they're taken down. What? What is the ring? What's it made of? Because it's not just paint. It's the outer ring mm-hmm. that's buried in there is rice straw that's just baled together. Oh. That's outside the ring. Okay. And that's considered obviously rice, Japan, very important export yeah, yeah. form, very important deal. So it holds a little bit of a religious thing. Now this is where things get a little nuts. Um before any of the bashos start, there's actually an offering to the gods where the um referee 
goes down, uh, he prays to the gods, and there's an offering that's buried in a little square hole that's dug in, in the, the middle of the ring. All the spectators in watching this? Uh, this is beforehand. So this is like uh, mayors, any of the governmental people that are there. There's okay. Shinto priests. There's a that are cer- there. It's a ceremonial yeah. aspect. Okay. Yep. So what they bury in there is uh, terrain nuts, chestnuts that are dried. Is there, so there's like a hole there. Yeah, they, right. they dig a little hole before everything, okay. and it's an offering to the gods of protection and safety. Okay. Um, washed rice, dried squid or cuttlefish, and then kombu. So, um, Kombucha? No, kombu is uh, seaweed. Oh, okay. Buried in the middle, padded down. So every time you see any sort of a sumo event, you know that in the middle there, there's an offering that's been buried to the gods every single time. Very cool, very sacred, the ceremonies that you they do for it. You the sacred sake? Yeah, and they go around and they will bless the corners of the uh, doyo with sacred sake. Can you imagine, like, at a wrestling event, if, like, they came out and it was just, like, <laughs> blessing the corners with, like, Coors Light? It would, yeah, it'd be that, Coors that Light or bourbon, exactly, yeah. probably. Uh, then after the ceremony's done, the referee... The Gyoji will go down to all the members that are there watching it, and they'll actually share the sacred sake together. Mm-hmm. So everybody just have a little sip, probably just like how communion works. Um, excuse me, we talked a lot about the Gyoji. He's the referee, the one with the short sword. Um, he actually has something called a Gorbai or a Gubai, I believe. It's written kind of odd up there, but uh, it's like a a ritual, not really a wand. It's if you see it, it's like a, a, a dowel that they hold, and then there's a square across it, and it's used for pointing to the winner and then awarding the winner some their, type of like their sponsorship. I- icon. Or I I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, An instrument of determining the the victor. Uh huh. Basically, yeah. And what you were talking about earlier, um, we have something that is called. Uh, We'll talk about that here in a second. I'm just, there's so much shit. Um, something called Shikaramizu, which is called power water. And it's given to a Rikishi before every event. Each Rikishi gets it. They're not allowed to drink it. Uh, you throw it in your mouth, you swish it around, you spit it out. It's a, like a sacred ritual that they do. Um, the only way that you can be given this Chikaramisu is actually from another sumo that has won a match before. So losers don't get to hand the Shikaramisu off to the next competitors. Mm. So very kind of traditional there. Uh, there's something. Wait, what do you mean pass it off? Okay, so is, are they given like a cup of it, a jug Yeah, of it? it's it's a bucket that sits there and the Shikaramisu's in it. They scoop it out. They hand it up to the next fighter, the next Rikishi. Okay. The Rikishi will bring it into his mouth, swish it around, so spit the it out. Guy, so the guy that loses the match before... He doesn't get to give it to the next nope. guy. So the guy that wins has to give it to both the guys coming up? Yep. Or just another guy that's won And that so day. it's like, I'll sip this power water, and then they squish it and spit it out? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they use something. I, I do this trick with my kid with, I just tell him, like, if I'm trying to get him to drink water, I'm like, oh, dude, I've got you some power water. And he's like, what? And I'm like, it'll make you super fast. And so you can get your kid to drink water. They also use something called chikaragame, which is 
just literally paper that they use to wash themselves after they do this. So they'll wipe the sweat off their face, they'll wipe their mouth clean, wipe hands and everything like that. Okay, and this takes place before every single match. Yep. What what's the what time frame are we looking at here? From the It's about four minutes of ritual before each match, and it's about fifteen to thirty seconds of actual fighting. So the the kind of pomp and circumstance before is a very important part of it. I can see why you now were describing like the buildup and clapping because that could literally happen for the entire match. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have what's next called the um, Chirichozu, and it's actually a ritual that's performed where they squat down. I don't know if you've ever seen it where they'll raise their arms up and then they will flatten their hands out and point their palms down to the ground. That ritual is made so it is to show the other competitor that you're not carrying a knife or any weapons or anything like that, that you're coming it into it just as yourself. Do you think this was invented after someone came into it with <laughs> a chance or yeah. something like that? Yeah. If somebody might have got stabbed and they had to start doing it. Do you think this. every time they have to do that, they're like, God damn it, this was because this motherfucker. <laughs> um, and then probably the most popular thing I would say besides the Mawashis with that you would relate to sumo is the chonmage, which is the top knot haircut that they have. Mm-hmm. And the top knot is what you get just as a Rikishi coming in. Um, once you reach the secatory level, which is the second highest, you get what's called an okoma or an ochomage. And it is the fan that you see coming out of the oh, top of yeah, it. That yeah, looks yeah. like a ginkgo leaf. Mm-hmm. That's actually something that they have to earn. Okay. The most important part about any of this stuff is when a sumo retires, the number one way that you know that they're retiring is they have a haircutting ceremony where everybody's invited, all of their old teachers, all of their old coaches, um, a lot of their old competitors, guys mm-hmm. in the doyo, everything like that. It's actually like a publicly terror or wow, televised ceremony where they'll cut their hair. Yeah. So that's like the the retirement for sumo is to get your haircut finally. What does it look like? Like if they're not wearing the top knot, like if they're just training, are they wearing the top knot when they're training? It's like a ponytail. Okay. Kind of just something that's bundled up. In I the just back. imagine if they let that down, it would be like a ridiculous fucking looking haircut. Well, and there's guys, um, it's called a Tokuyama. Each one of the doyos has one or not the doyos. Um, each one of the hay has one. Mm-hmm. They've, dedicated their entire life to doing nothing but styling sumo excuse me sumo hair so they'll be doing this for like 30 years will they be working with the same heya to get this hair complete and right like it's a very sacred thing to have your hair just kind of perfectly manicured yeah that's it that's what they do for the hands that's a a very big deal i don't know that's like the guy that's like snoop's blunt roller yeah pretty much that's a perfect example of it yeah that's his one job so now we can go back to the big board and we can start talking about the tournaments. Before we go back to the big board, I got to go potty. Okay. All right. Hey, guys, while we're taking a break, we got something for you. Socials! Yay! Hey, if you would be inclined, we'd really appreciate it. Jump on over to Instagram, and if you don't already follow us, go to Historically High Pod. Give that little follow button a a little push. We're going to send out stuff about upcoming episodes, and it'll kind of give you a peek into what's to come. Um, If they don't like Insta, whatever, um, what do they do about tweeting us? You can tweet us at historically high. That's historically H I. And we also have our new threads that we started. Um, same as Instagram social. As far as that goes, historically high pod. 
And if you have email is your thing, we love emails. We love hearing from you guys. It's historicallyhighpodcast at gmail.com. Again, like, rate, subscribe. You know what to do. All right, and we're back. And I'm also not going to apologize for using the term potty as a grown man. <laughs> I have a four-and-a-half-year-old child. You caught yourself. That is my fucking... When you as said soon that, as I said that, I was just it. like, God damn it, am I using potty out in the real world? So, yeah, um, getting back into it, we have six official tournaments that are held every other month. Um, they're called Honbashos, Bashos for short. A Banzuke is going to be a list that they give out prior to each tournament, and it lists the rankings for each division. And as far as that goes, it's very, very important because during these 15 days, you have to have a match every single day. And it's very rare. Win or lose, you could lose 15. Yep. Yeah, and when you lose 15, your ranking will drop. It drops per tournament. Well, no shit. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, as far as any of that stuff goes, like I say, there's the six divisions, but Can within... You, I can't even imagine going back to the Heya. Yeah. Going back to the Heya, and you're the Owen 15 guy. Everyone's, everyone's just like, ooh, ooh, ruck. Well, and they have actual words for it. So if you win eight or more, it's called the Kachikoshi. And that means that you are going to be promoted up. Um, then there's a Maki you Koshi. more than half. Yeah, you won more than you half, got so over you're going to be over 500. Baby. Yeah. Um, Maki Koshi is the result in a demotion, so you're going to be losing eight or more. Uh, depending on how bad it is, depending it, or is So how, it's up or down. There's yeah, no, how far the, you'll slide. There's no staying put. You're no. either going up or you're going down. I mean, if you're like... What? I guess if enough guys close to you... Got demoted. You, you, well, like, and if you're eight and seven, you're probably right in that right division. Yeah. So um, when you go to an actual Basho, sumos from the same Heya never fight each other. That's so pretty cool. You, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. and that That's cool because you get to then root. Like, it's yeah. your house. Like, Harry Potter shit. Like, we're Gryffindor. Like, yeah. That's and it cool. also allows you to have a massive amount of success if you have a Heya where you have a bunch of upper division guys that are just kicking ass because yeah. they're not taking losses. Is there a to... name for it if a Heya goes undefeated in one of these bashos? <sighs> Has it ever happened? Well, I don't think so. Just because there's so many guys that can, can you imagine <laughs> the fucking 19, what year was it that the Dolphins went undefeated? Uh, Like 78. No, because all those motherfuckers 86? are still alive. I don't, yeah, I don't know. The Dolphins, I don't really try to keep their history. Yeah. Anyway. That's can you, but can you imagine one of these going to undefeated? There, someone look this up. There, there, we're not going to do it right now. There are Rikishi that have gone undefeated, but as far as the entire Heya doing it, it's I don't think it's possible. Okay, just because depending on how many, I feel but like yeah. that probably I feel like that probably would have popped up had that happened. Uh, to talk about that though, um, Yokozuna is something that we're about to get nuts deep into. I know that name without even realizing why I know that name. Yokozuna is the highest ranking that you can get in the or in the sport of sumo. Oh, there was a wrestler called the yeah great Yokozuna. Yokozuna or yeah, just he, Yokozuna. Not Japanese by any stretch of the that. imagination. Listen, <laughs> I understand that there was an era of time in which cultural cultural appropriation was a very broad spectrum. You're brown, so you can play a lot of different things. I, so for every month, like we were talking about with any sort of Rikishi that was not in the top two promotions, you get 550 bucks a month mm-hmm. for them. Uh, if you have a Yokozuna in your stable, you get an extra three grand. So you get what 
five times, okay. six times the you amount of money. Just explain this, and I'm sorry. Yokozuna is in the top two. It, it's the top ranking. It, the top ranking. Yeah. So is there a, a one for the second? What's the name of the second um, guy? We'll talk about all those. We can just do them now. The six divisions. Um, Jonokuchi is going to be the entry level. That's what you start out with. Uh, Joni Don is going to be the next one. Um, Sandoname is going to be the third level. Makushita is going to be the fourth level. Juir, or Ju- you got this. <laughs> is it the J U R Y O? Yeah, I think it's Jurio. Or God, I can't even say it. Jurio. You're doing great, sweetie. Jur- <laughs> Good enough. We know we get it. That's the second. Yeah, Jurio, and then the Makakuchi. Okay, Makuchi is what you're going to see any of these big sumo events online. So Makakuchis are Yokozuna. Uh, Makuchi has five levels just within itself. Jesus. It is the big leagues of the big leagues. Okay. And that's going to be the Makashira. Because there's probably so few guys in that level that they want to know who the top dog yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to say that these guys, like everybody else has a certain amount. Once you get to the Makuchi, every one of these levels, there's only like 40 of them that attain these ranks. Okay. So when you were talking about the results of it, either result in promotion or demotion, the promotion or demotion is between these ranks that you just listed off. Between those, and then when you get to the Makuchi is really when things start changing for you and you can get paid. Okay. And you still can with the Jiryu, uh, but at the same time, you just don't get the kind of payment. But if you are This a, is the English system of soccer. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. Yep. It's relegation and it's promotion. Yep. Um, with your Makuchi, you're going to have the Makashira... The Komasubi, the Sekiwaki, the Ozeki, and then the Yokozuna. One one more time. Which one? The Sekiwaki. Sekiwaki? Okay. Yeah. Um, The Ozeki and then the Yokozuna. Only 73 in the history of sumo wrestling, only 73 Rikishi have ever made it to the rank of Yokozuna. The only way that you can make it to the rank of Yokozuna is if you win two consecutive tournaments. That's how hard this is. Is that the only way you can make it to the rank? It, of- okay, I that doesn't sound hard, because if you're just like the dominant dog, you figure you could win enough. Are you saying that that's how fierce the competition is? It's so fucking tight yeah. with those top guys that literally winning this is so unpredictable. Like the odds are so close against these top guys that uh, and Ozeki. And you said two in a row or two overall? Two in a row. So oh, an Ozeki you- tournament, the highest, the second highest level of the Makuchi, which is the highest level, mm-hmm. you have to win two of those back to back. That's how tough the competition is. You would think, you know, you only have to win two tournaments in a row, but you have to win two tournaments in a row. Two months only- apart, right? Yeah. Okay. Only 73 guys have done it in the history of sumo. And that's, that's six events a year. That's how prestigious it is. Yeah. One out of every thousand Rikishi will make it to that rank that's pretty nice okay you got to explain this 11 non-japanese thing then because who else is allowed to be a sumo is it simply a cultural thing you have to be born japan like how does that work because now you got to explain the non-japanese thing Uh, they uh, obviously pacific islanders sort of have a leg up on these things just because they are in and around um chad akibono Mm -hmm. he's hawaiian so he was, I want to say in 1992, he became the first non-Japanese Yokozuna ever. What's his name? Akebono. Okay. His, his real Hawaiian? name is Chad Rowan, I believe. 
is what his English name is. And he was Hawaiian? Yep. 6'8". Um, his so heaviest... First, first American yeah, citizen. For, I, wait, wait, wait. Was Hawaii part of America at that time? Yeah, because it was the 90s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, this guy's he's... Wait, wait, wait. He was the... You said the 90s and he was the first mm-hmm. non-American? That or, was how um, much of a just a Japanese-centric sport it was to where they started to branch oh, out. Shit. They started to bring these other guys in. Okay, go on with the other ones. Um, the other non-Japanese were mostly like Samoan, Tongan, anywhere like that that were brought into these um, uh, brought into these heias. Mm-hmm. And they were actually recruited because you would have guys that were going over there from different islands that never attained like the higher ranks. Yeah. Coming back to these islands and saying, hey... If you want a career and you want a future and you want to be famous, I'll hook you up. You can go over to my Haya, and if you're good enough, you could one day become the first non-Japanese Yokozuna. And Akebono is a, a mountain of a man. Like I said, I think at his heaviest, he weighed like 6'15", and he was 6'8". So a 600-pound, 6'8 man was just an absolute beast and a monster. But that's not to say that he won all of his matches because he was just stronger and bigger than everybody else. He was very, very light on his feet. He was a very, very big dude that was very Akebono Taro? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Oh my god, he's fucking massive. <laughs> he's, he's a large individual. Um, so yeah, getting back into the tournaments, you have these 15 days, you're one match at a time every single day. Now, you would think, like, you only have to prepare for 15 to 30 seconds of a match each and every day. Mm -hmm. But you have to factor in that you have to do this 15 times in a row. And every single day, you're lining up against a guy that's between 280 pounds all the way up to, like, 575, 600 pounds. Like, these are big, big dudes. And you're a big dude yourself. It's just going to be a car crash. Every single time you come running into each other, and this was actually shocking because I looked a lot of places for this, but the combined force of two of those guys launching off and running into each other Mm -hmm. has to be like a car wreck going like 25 miles an hour each way, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just a massive amount of force. It would be dependent on their speed, but I'll tell you right now that like it's, these guys are 400 pounds and that inertia is just, the only thing absorbing that is just their bodies. Yeah. And whatever meat they have on their bodies. Like, I don't think it's 25 miles, but I think it would, it could kill someone. It's a human car wreck. Yeah. So, um, like I said earlier, there's 82 distinguished ways to win. Um, Illegal moves are called kinjitai. There's probably less illegal moves or illegal ways to win. So many less. So many less. So the only things that you can't do, uh, strangulation, hair pulling, bending of fingers, Gripping the crotch area, which should kind of be a, <laughs> a no-brainer. I don't like how that's so far down the list. <laughs> Kicking, poking of eyes, uh, punching with a closed fist, so you can still strike with a, an open hand. You can just bitch slap someone as hard as you, you want. You can slap them. You can pop them in the chest with it. It's And that's where you get you into the techniques. Oh, you can't pull them up or cut. You can get them up into the neck and drive back like you can't do with a helmet. But not a punch. No, you can't like you can't just throw okay. an open hand. Okay. But if you hit him in the neck or the chest and it slides up underneath the chin, you're still pushing. Um, like I say, poking of the eyes, punching, simultaneously striking both of your opponent's ears at the same time. 
that can actually like <laughs> rupture someone's eardrums. And you know that had to have happened at some point. Oh, yeah, somebody absolutely gave them Everything the you list off has happened oh, yeah. in sumo yep. at one point or another. Yeah. Um, the most basic common forms are grabbing the opponent's mawashi and forcing them out. That's basically how you can win. Grabbing it around the back. That's um, what you normally see if you're watching. They're grabbing it at the hips, hips and pulling it or, up. Or the ass, and you forcing can it start higher to control and them. further up their opponent's ass. Well, yeah. and that's also, if you look at like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and they wear gis, yeah. a gi is a part of your weapon to take someone down. Yes. Like, you're going to get a hold of that material and do it. So yes. a mawashi only being so small. Like, it's the only thing to yeah. grab. It really is. Yep. That which it, it explains like how important of a science wrapping that thing must be if there's able to withstand a 400-pound man trying to pull it off. Well, and the I, I wouldn't say happen? that the toughest way, but maybe the oddest way to win it is if your Mawashi comes off and you are bare balls in the crowd, you automatically lose. So they made that a rule that if your Mawashi gets pulled off, you lose. Do they have a guy <laughs> that actually is like the rat man? Yep. They do? Yeah. And I think a lot of them can kind of like help the others, but there are guys who wrap the bigger dudes that like can't wrap their arms around themselves or anything like that. Like it's, it's a very interesting uh, style. What's wrong? I'm wrapping several Yokozuna today. <laughs> it will be a long day. So yeah, um, just the ways to win are pretty incredible, but like I was talking about with the two higher levels. So the Jurio and the Makuchi, um, what you get is you are going to receive a salary and a bonus. Those in the lower divisions only receive the allowance that we talked about earlier. Which um, is less than that allowance. It's 550 to the Heya. Yeah. So, so you're, those guys you're only might getting, be getting what kicked giving. a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to own your, or you get to have your own supporters club. So those um, envelopes with the yen that I talked about. You get to wear the quality kimono and other items. So the stuff that's made of silk, it has color to it, all that kind of stuff. You have a private room in the training stable, which I'm sure is huge because it's better than living in one room with 15 other sumo wrestlers. There's something both cool and disrespectful about calling it the training stable because then you're like, <laughs> these motherfuckers, they're animals. Yeah, they're horses. And at the same time as you're like, these motherfuckers are animals. Like, I, And that's to see the way that they live just in there. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of YouTube videos on that and it's really fascinating. Um, you're able to get married and you can live away from the training stable once you reach that. The junior Rikishi have to act as your personal servants. Like I mentioned earlier, they get to wear the silk mawashi with the stiffened cords in front, the sagrai that protect their junk from being attacked. Um, they get to participate in a ring entrance ceremony and something called a Kesha mawashi, which is like... Um, Please tell me it's like they get their own fucking theme song. No, they they all come oh, out together. No, they come. Yeah, no. <laughs> they all come out together and they surround the doyo and they do it. But a kechimawashi is like a like when a chef wears like an apron, but it's just down around their legs in the front. Okay. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're adorned with like all sorts of special stitchings and like okay. gods, like a deities. Yeah, like a sort banner. of like that, but it's okay. all handmade. Well, um, like a banner. Yeah. Yeah. They get to wear the chonmage, which is the hairstyle that looks like the ginkgo leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get to become an elder in the sumo association uh, if one is a secretary for long enough. So once you become a secretary, you get to basically be um, like once you retire, your life's kind of set because you just get to stay in the JSA. So pretty cool. Do they get like a pension? To, huh? Do they get like a pension? 
Yeah, uh, they get a pension, and once you reach that level, you can start your own doyos too. Or not your own doyos, your own hayas. Mm. So you can become a trainer. Um, The salary and payments for these guys, it just, to me, I don't really, it's tough to gauge because you only have so long of a life that's in sumo. Is there like an average age of these guys, like that they, they get in, they get out? Um, you start 15, 16, and then usually you have to fight for probably seven, eight years, just depending on how good you are to get up into the top ranks. And that's only to say that so that very mean that few only puts of them you do. at 25, 26, or, no, uh, sorry, 23 or 24 years old. And then you usually will spend, if you're good and you can stay healthy, that's kind of the name of the game is if your body can hold up, you can go for a very long time. Yeah, long, you can go I would imagine longevity years. because like looking at some of these guys, I would imagine these top guys are probably sometimes in like their early thirties, maybe even late thirties with that experience. You have to work your way up to it. You're a seasoned yeah. veteran by the that's time That's what I'm you saying. It's there. like you were saying a lifestyle. It is literally a life. You are yeah. dedicated to this. And these guys, unfortunately, I think their average age is right around 60, that they don't end up making it. But to think that your whole entire existence for so many years is to continue to build strength and put on weight, once that day comes when you can relax and you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore, you're already kind of fat. <laughs> and you've already put your work in. So in order to get back down to like a healthy, manageable weight. I feel like weight, you would just naturally lose weight with you what probably these guys would. are eating. Because I guarantee you also, once these guys, you know, get up to the level, what are you talking, the secatory? Mm-hmm. Those guys aren't fucking eating the gruel or whatever the fuck you, what the hunk. Chokonabe. Chokonabe. I guarantee those guys aren't eating just that. These guys are like eating well. Yeah, but that's the thing is if you're eating well, you got to make sure that you're not lazy. And if you're retiring because you have bad knees or anything like that, if you don't get that stuff fixed, I mean, that's yeah, one thing. I don't think you have to eat then to like hold on weight. I think it's the same, same principle with like NFL offensive linemen or defensive tackles. Like they retire and within like six, six months or a year, you see a picture and it's like, look at this guy. He's but, fucking lost like 70 pounds and they're just fucking jacked. Yeah, which you're slimming down from 315, 330 to like 220. You're not coming down from 550. Yeah, that's that's, true. that's a different number all You may have become accustomed total. to a certain life t- lifestyle yeah. at that point too. Um, so just to kind of go about what they get, which I found pretty interesting. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, and not to jump back, you got to explain some of the ways to fucking win. Like, explain like how do you win? Do you have to throw them out of the ring? That's... Uh, so basically that's the most common way to do it is if you push them out of the circle, out of the straw hay bale circle. Okay. Um, if any part of your body touches the ground, that's not the soles of your feet. So if a hand goes down, mm-hmm. if an ankle goes down, if a knee, anything like that. If an like ankle that, goes down and it's touching, motherfucker, <laughs> you're not getting back up. Coming. I was going to say, you went, <laughs> instead of knee, you went to ankle. I was like, fuck. Yeah, the, the rest of you was falling pretty quickly. So wait, wait, if you go down on a hand, you lose. Yep. You have the only thing that can be touching the clay is the soles of your feet. Okay, I swear to God, when they're like, I feel like when they're in the middle. Okay, so they start in the squatted position. Yeah, maybe that's the best way to do it. So you start, you come up to the lines, you both squat down. 
Um, one opponent will put both of their fists against the ground. You will hear the referee say the phrase, whatever it is, to get it started. I forgot what it was, but I think it's like, let, let's let, get let, it let, on. Let them no, fight. It's, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. It's the it. Mills so Lane. Then you have the other hand that will go down from the other competitor. And once all four fists are on the ground and the referee has said that, you can fire off on each other. Okay. That's the only time that anything other than your hand. Okay. Yep. But I like, so what I'm saying is. I could swear they've been like hitting against each other, and I see like hands going toward the ground, but I don't. Because like if you're they just trying hit to push the ground, your gu- and you're out. Okay, fuck. That okay, that makes it even more impressive. Because I thought they were able to like kind of hold their balance, and that's these guys like spinning on one leg and like, oh shit. Yeah, and if if you get spun and you go to brace yourself and you touch, you, you lose. Um, the other way would be to be pushed out past the bales, which is kind of cool because the bales are raised up enough. I want to say it's about three and a half inches out of the clay that if you get backed up against there, you have a little bit of relief to where you can get a grip with your foot and, and try to back. push off. But at the same time, if you go to push that guy pirouettes you and spins you, you're flat face down in so the middle. What's like the move. The like, move is just a straight bull rush to push them out. So you, you come, that's like the most like, not famous, but like that's like the thing that gets people jazzed up. That you just used your human mass and muscles to just shove them out of the ring. Yeah, it's called a yotsuzumo, and it's just a straight push from the front. You hit, you collide, and you just start slapping and pushing, and you push them all the way out. Um, another one is going. I to guess be- that's more entertaining. That thrills the crowd more because if you just pancake someone, put them on their ass. See, putting them on their ass might have been, but I don't. Maybe you're. These guys are just so good that they're not going to let you do that. Well, and that's what's called an Oshizumi is when you lock up uh-huh. and it's just you're literally stronger than the other guy yeah. that you can just start backing him out yeah. of the the ring. Like you're just – you have so much more power than he just can't stop you and you see their feet sliding in the dirt. Because the, the easiest clay. way would be just to put your mask on them and be like, I'm just going to force you on a knee. Yeah. But so like these guys are like, no, like I want to fucking do the win. And I'm just going to force your ass back. Well, and it even gets... That's the equivalent of trying to, like, blow someone out. Yeah. Okay. It, it even gets down to the point where on the outside of the straw bale ring, mm-hmm. there's actually fine sand that they lay down. So you can see if somebody's foot is levered over, like, if their heel touches on the outside Ooh. in the sand. So you actually have, like, perfect physical evidence that you can see. Ooh. And it's been completely smoothed out and yep. everything. Ooh. They smooth it out between every single match. So there's guys That's with brooms so that go through badass. and do it. Yeah. I mean, they, they really have it down to, after thousands of years, to a perfect science to be able to tell this. Um, something that I find to be probably the coolest ritual, and I should have brought it up when I was talking about everything else, uh, we got to get into it, is the sacred salt. All right. You've seen before the matches when they'll grab a handful of salt, they'll throw it into the ring. Maybe. So that's like kind of the the biggest thing that you can see in any of the rituals. That and then the slapping of the bodies, which is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Like you've seen them slap their stomachs and all that stuff. Slapping of the stomachs is to try to get the gods' attention. Mm -hmm. So they want all the the eyes and everything to be on them. So you'll see them slap their ass, slap their leg. You'll see them stomp against the ground is to ward out the evil spirits that are in the ground. But all the slapping is to make sure that all the gods up in heaven are watching out for you. The sacred salt that they throw in before every match, um, each competitor does it. And it is to purify the ring. Now demons be gone. Yep. It's just like any other, I, I don't know if it's witchcraft or anything like that, but salt is a, um, 
a cleanser. Yeah. And like before they go to Japanese funerals, it's pretty traditional for them to actually put out a bucket of salt in front of their houses when they leave. Mm -hmm. And then when they return, they bring it out as like a spiritual offering. Uh, They actually said that part of the reason why, because like wrestlers working on mats and everything tend to get like ringworm and all the gross bumps and all that shit. They say that the salt in the ring actually helps cut down on that because when you do fall, if you get a cut or something where that bacteria would get inside you, there's usually enough salt on the ground to kill anything. I can definitely seeing that, especially at a Heya, a training facility where it's being used all the time. And they don't always use it during practice, but it's always purified beforehand. Well, nowadays, so there is some nowadays salt. they would have other ways of knowing yeah. that. But I'm sure that's what it was derived from and what the, the whole reason behind it was. I'm not sure of that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you would think so. So, yeah, just to kind of wrap up on it, uh, the way that they make money is uh, I just find it so fascinating because when you compare, like, professional athletes, this is a, a country sport. So you would think that they would just get paid exorbitant amounts of money. But we see NFL contracts get thrown around that just blow this out of the water. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Jurio, um, you make about, which is the rank below getting into the Ozeki. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, wow, Jesus Christ. The Jurio is the second one. Then the Makuchi is the one that has the Yokozuna in it. Yeah, and then Ozeki is the second to top there. So okay. Jurio and Makuchi. So if you hit the Jurio, you get paid around American um, $9,500 a month. So pretty good money, but not the greatest amount of money. Um, a Megashira, which is going to be your first level of Makuchi, you're making $12,500 a month. Pretty decent scratch. Yeah, well, compared to what you were making, not not having that anywhere before it, <laughs> yeah. Like when you knew you were going to get promoted, that would be hard to fucking like contain yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanyaku, you make about sixteen thousand dollars a month. You're you're starting to get up there. You're starting to make some dough. Listen, there. I could live very easily for the base of the Juro or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, then Ozeki, your second highest is going to be twenty two thousand dollars a month. That's pretty lap of luxury. But like I say, in the long run, unless you have a career where you're staying at these for a long time, you're not making like generational wealth. No, and I guarantee you the first couple of years that you got that money, you're not being smart you're with You're blowing it, it yeah. pretty quick. Um, then, of course, Yokozuna. Yokozuna, you make $26,500 a month. So nice. what, that's 200000 I mean, you're you're getting close to 300,000 and that's just what their payment is. So you have to yeah. think sponsors are probably chipping in more than that. Oh, the JSA is paying yeah. these guys yep. them. That's what you get for that. So that's, that's not how including much sponsors. money the JSA is bringing in. Well, it's it's a national sport and none of their stuff is taxed. So oh, all all of the money that they make for tickets and everything like that goes directly into it. So these guys to me are the athletes athletes uh I watched so much sports that it's probably sick, including stuff like this. Like, people watch the traditional stuff. I still get off on this on YouTube. Like, it's it's just a little bit extra. Korean but, street vendor food. Yeah, that and silent and, Korean and, street and vendor sumo. food. But these guys are treated as national heroes. They go on to do all sorts of ad campaigns, commercials over in Japan. Um, they'll will go to talk to, like, Fortune 500 Japanese companies. How... So when you talked about the 11 non-Japanese, it kind of got me thinking. You said that started in the 90s. Yep. On average, how many Yokozuna are there 
still active like at one time? Is it something where, because you said there's only been 73 of them, which essentially over the course of the entirety, that would mean you could have like maybe one existing or two existing at the same time throughout that entire, like, I wonder what the most have, like, can you imagine like the golden age of sumo where there's like, we have fucking like five Yokozuna at the same time. These guys are battling it out in these tournaments. Well, and that's where the, the, um, between the Maki Koshi and the Kachi Koshi comes in is you have to be able to maintain that Yokozuna rank. So once you get there, if you keep winning and you're still a badass and you're, um, Kachikoshi still stays above 500 every time you win. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to keep that rank. But if you have two or three bad tournaments and you end up hitting that Makikoshi under the eight wins, you could drop out of the Yokozuna ranking pretty fast. That'd be so crazy because you'd be like, depending on how you wanted to retire to, you'd be having this conversation with yourself like, I'm a Yokozuna right now, but all it takes is for me to lose this next tournament for me to lose that status, and then am I going to be able to get that back? Because yep. I have to win another two, right? Yeah, to get Another back. two in a row to get back. So it would be easy to fall out of it. So did it did it ever say how many, like, retired? Um, A good portion of them, I think, just because they sort of, you realize. I think it's because it's so fucking rare. Like, you get to that, and you're like, do I risk it for the next fucking tournament? Yeah, and it takes so long. If your body is broken down by the last 20 years, yeah. you know you're probably not going to be able to keep it, so you're going to be scheduling your haircutting ceremony pretty quick. I um, just wonder if there was ever a circumstance where there was like two Yokozuna against each other yeah, at the same There, There have been two. The rule is there doesn't have to be one at all times because mm-hmm. there can be long stretches. Yeah, I think now, right now, there's a chance that there's not one. Um but you can have multiples at the same time. And which, have them going against each other. Yeah. Uh, Akebono went up against a couple Yokozunas, and they're just incredible bouts. Like, it's it's like poetry in a ring. It's so crazy that it could be, like, 15 seconds. And it could be, oh, and it could be like, all your training. Everything could be over in just that moment. Well, and you have to wonder, too, because my... Have there, have there been some wars? Blood is pretty common. Like, when what kind of times are we looking at for maybe, like, if you were to think of, like, a longer tier, have there been, like, ones that have lasted, like, a minute? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because there will be a standoff in the middle where both of them have a hold of their Mawashis, and they're trying to feel out, like, the first fast twitch from the other guy that they feel they're trying to go the mm-hmm. other way. And those are pretty fun to just see the duel of, like, when it becomes a mental chess match. Yeah. Because you have to know you're both wearing The down. longer you're going... The the more costly one little mistake mm-hmm. or misread is going to be. God damn it! The lactic acid starts building up. I like those. My personal favorite though is the um, just the immediate outsmart. Mm. When you see a guy fire off the line and bull rush, and the other guy takes two steps back and just pushes him down straight to the ground, like it can be over in an instant. Because yeah. if you lead off, that you're just going to jump at the dude, and he sees it coming, he can just open up the back door and let you go. See, straight I feel out like that through. one would be the most disrespectful. Oh, so to bad. way to lose, not getting bull rushed out of the back because then you're like, this guy was obviously the superior athlete but if you just get fucking hooded uh-huh. imagine by like just a dude that you shouldn't lose to <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to blow him out and bull rush him well and you've been preparing for that one match the entire day yeah and then you don't get to redeem yourself for a whole nother think, day think if you lose like that a couple times in a row during the same tournament everyone's like this is the move to use yeah, on the, this guy yeah. we're gonna pull this, this on this fucking guy. bites <laughs> every time um and it's kind of cool just before each basho in the mornings 
the JSA committee, they have a committee that's like a matchmaking committee. Mm-hmm. They get together every day. They lay out the lists of all the fighters, and each one of them has a list of who they've beaten and who they've lost. Yeah. And they actually choose the matches for the day that day. So you only know like predetermination for who you're fighting that day just in that morning. That's fucking cool. Yeah. So it's just all random. You it's like usually blood sport. Yeah. So mm-hmm. sort of very similar. But where it's turned to today is kind of what I was talking about where the Japanese have tried to rein it back into just mostly a Japanese sport. Mm-hmm. So there was the big influx of the Islanders, the non-native Japanese guys that were coming in from Hawaii and Samoa and everything like that. Then there was another turn where it turns out that Mongolians are like the um, Central African marathon runners of sumo. Okay. They're just, I don't know if it comes down to Mongolian wrestling because that's been done for thousands of years itself, but they train at such altitudes in Mongolia that they are able to harness the smaller amounts of oxygen in their blood. Mm -hmm. And they've come through and just swept sumo wrestling by storm to the point to where they actually made it a rule. Yeah. They actually made it a rule that Heyas are only allowed one non native Japanese spot per house. Because they were just bringing these Mongolians in and they were smoking everybody. Did any of them make Yokozuna? Oh, yeah. Um, I believe it was the last guy that did it. And I've watched a lot of his matches today. Um, Where is he? He was just a a masterful man. Um, Hakuho. Hakuho uh, became the... Oh, no. No, Hakuho was the 68th Yokozuna from 2003 to 2010, and he was just... He was a Yokozuna for seven years? Yeah, that's how good he was. You think we think in some of that Genghis Khan DNA? It could have been, man. They just, they're just they very, very good fighters, and I, I would assume it has a lot to do with their Mongolian wrestling, because, like I say, that's kind of like their national sport, mm-hmm. and we see it translate into the Olympics. Usually the Mongolians are pretty good wrestlers over in the Olympics, too. But just to know that there's other countries out there that can do it better than them, and they're just like, hey, only one spot for a foreigner because these yeah. guys are starting to take our shit over. Like just the absolute coolest thing. And um, as far as it translates into America, we have amateur divisions in America. Um, one no thing shit. that I, yeah, they're not on ESPN, obviously, but they, it does happen. Um, not a great You'll note catch to it end back on. to back with cornhole at like, <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. like two o'clock in the ESPN morning. ESPN eight. It's uh-huh. on the Ocho, but no professional women's ranks. Um, women are actually kind of shied away from the sport, which is sort of sad. Uh, there are amateur women sumo wrestling divisions that happen. Um, yeah, baby. And I think it's kind of taken off just partially because it is kind of just a cool sport, but at the same time, they have something to prove. Like, yeah, it's it's an important thing for them to be able to be represented in the sport. But when it comes to Japan, they get to like, you know, take advantage of all the rubbing and tugging and all that kind of stuff. Like, (laughs) let them rub and tug. I I don't, I don't like that because that makes my love for this sport sound a little odd, but you were the one who described it almost. I just summarized how you described it earlier. Yeah. You and Brody craves contact. You got to rub and tug sometimes to get a guy off of his feet, to get a guy off, to get a guy off (laughs) balance off balance. So yeah. Do you have any other, other questions to wrap up? No, I feel like I interrupted you enough to ask questions and you're very gracious in answering each and every one of them. I apologize if this seems like a scattered episode. That was my fault. I just, 
I'm like a dog chasing cars. I, if know, you get I don't chance, know what to do until I'm done asking the question. Yeah, if you get a chance, YouTube, just sumo and watch some of the bouts and watch some of the finishes okay. because it's not... Do you not, have... I got to know this. Do you have like matches that you've watched multiple times? Yeah. So are, do you have like some of your like... How you have like WrestleMania matches? Like all times, like, you know, Hogan versus... Or Rock versus Austin, that kind of stuff. Like if you had to boil it down, first of all, who is your favorite... Um, hold on. Who's your favorite Rikishi and what's your favorite match? Am I putting you on the spot here? Yeah. And it's not because I don't remember them. It's just the names always throw me through a loop. Of, of course. I, yeah. But let me see. You, do I you mean, know who your favorite Rikishi Akebono is? Is easily my favorite. And just because he is such just a massive force and a massive man. And he just dominated, I'm guessing. Yeah, and just the fact that he was something that they had never seen before. Because think about a 6'8 guy in Japan. Yeah. Like, that's uh, already... And uh, how heavy was he? Five-something, you said? 600 pounds. And was that able to be that graceful? And did he do the bow dance, too? When yeah. He yeah, he, he just... I mean, he's was just as flexible. Uh, a guy like that doing the splits is absolutely So incredible. would you say that your favorite match would be an Akibono match. Yeah, absolutely. And it was another, it was a guy that never got to be a Yokozuna, but it was another guy that grew up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to see two guys basically at the top of the field, Nozeki versus a Yokozuna, who weren't Japanese, but I'm not going to say Shoei Atani yeah, right now. Very much so. That's yeah, a very coming over and just taking, yeah. Unfortunately, um, Akebono fell on some hard times after he retired and ended up fighting in Pride and K1 and kind of some other things. I was wondering things. if the Google images showed up. Did he wrestle at any point? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, just interesting as I'll get out. I didn't even get into the portion of the Yakuza and all the betting scandals that have happened and the match fixing that would go on that people were accused of. And we're only at like uh, hour 26, so if you felt like you were going long... There's been like actual like legitimate like fixing of these. Yeah, um, I, I forgot. Should we save this for the Yakuza episode? Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, we're gonna save this for the Yakuza episode because that would all. There's a little teaser back. for you. Yeah, exactly. All right, you got any other anything else? Thank no, you for man, taking just, us on this journey. Damn, just watch sumo. It's it's a lot of fun. It's not a a long deal. You can watch bashos which last all day, and you'll cut like a super cut. will be like three hours. But just watching a match or two and just seeing the beautiful pageantry and the respect that these people have for a sport that's going on for so long, but that's so brutal yeah, that people love it. Support your local. Uh, hey, uh. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us again, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs> You're not going to do your piece? Uh, piece. I did it earlier. Oh, okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historicallyhighpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. Peace.